This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 234. I am covering a topic very close to my heart, one that I still struggle with from time to time, and I'm working on very hard. Those of you who've been with me on the Lotox Life Podcast for a number of years will know my personal struggles with SIRS or CIRS. Uh, aka mold illness, biotoxin illness. Uh, and it's a really, really tough uh, uh, illness. There are many challenges and there are many layers to it that can strike at so many different times and you can then become predisposed to uh, having an overactive immune system, overactive nervous system, uh, heightened uh, sensitivity to the biotoxin that has caused the illness. And it is my great pleasure to bring back to the show Dr. Sandeep Gupta, who is Australia's foremost uh, educator and advocate for treatment of SIRS. He, is, uh, he founded the Lotus Health Practice up in Queensland and has treated and worked with many, many SIRS patients over the last few years, and uh, he trained with uh, the original alarm sounder, sounding doctor, uh, Dr. Richie Shoemaker over in the States, who made huge inroads to support people who were affected by living in water damaged buildings. Uh, so in today's show, it's by no means replaces the first show that we did. And I think if you have absolutely no idea about SIRS, but you have had inflammation uh, to varying degrees affecting more than one system in your body. So it might be palpitations, it might be muscle tiredness, it might be electric shocks, it might be uh, tongue tension, jaw tension, could be uh, there's so many different things, twist, twitching, muscle spasms, uh, tachycardia, POTS, uh, arrhythmias, um, and all these sorts of things, and you live or work uh, in a building that might have some mustiness or uh, might be right near some phone towers or um, might have had a leak that didn't get fixed very quickly. There's so many things that you can be on the lookout for here. So if you're really new to this, head back to show number 55 that we did a few years ago because that's a great uh, introductory episode into what this is and whether you may or may not be affected by it and whether it's something worth investigating further. Uh, and today's show, we really go in deep to some of the biggest 
wins that uh, integrative doctors and holistic practitioners have had in the space of treating people with SIRS. Uh, And we talk about many, many aspects of recovery. We talk about rental rights. We talk about repair. We talk about uh, brain retraining. I bring up Ashok Gupta's course, the Gupta program, and we talk about Sandeep Gupta, today's guest, his incredible Mold Illness Made Simple e-course. And I've put the details for both of these programs in the show notes, both the Gupta program and the Mold Illness Made Simple program, simply because I'm a huge, huge fan of both programs and the amount of support they give people who need it but also because they support in very different and super complementary ways. So Mold Illness Made Simple, Sandeep's uh, course, is going to help you figure out whether you've got mold illness, detect mold in buildings, ways to get uh, tested, uh, biomarkers to look out for, ways to treat mold illness. And it's a really cost-effective way to navigate this yourself if you are just not able to get in the building biologists and go to the integrative doctor, you know, every month. And I'm so passionate about access uh, education and support in this area because it's not recognised by the medical associations, which therefore puts the entire cost and uh, and largely the... um, the rental kind of situation and uh, homeowner situation. So the cost of sorting this out is very much put on the people who suffer most of the time. You have to wear the entire cost. And having been a member of the Toxic Mould Support Group, I've seen what this does to people over time. If you go through two, three, four, five buildings on the trot or over time, uh, you know, you, you just can't fork out the hundreds of dollars for the medical care sometimes. So Mold Illness Made Simple really is an incredible course to help people um, get access to world-class information and pioneering information, very current up to the minute. Uh, and then, of course, it really takes your nervous system for a spin, this uh, illness, and that's why I love Ashok Gupta's brain retraining program to help calm that central nervous system and bring a sense of hope and joy and happiness uh, back into the brain and uh, get those neurons to fire together and wire together and help support your recovery. So I'm a huge fan of both and the complementary nature of them. So I've put both of them in the show notes today so that you can make the most of the Lotox community discount that we are given for both of those courses, uh, which I have a huge thank you to both Guptas for that one. Uh, It really helps. And, uh, of course, today's interview is going to help even more. So before I pop into that interview, I just want to shout out Uh, this week's three feature Lotox brands. Um, I'm doing like a little bit of a best ofs over the next few weeks in the month of May and uh, the wonderful brands that they are, they've given us little discounts. So if you're in the middle of making swaps, uh, if you're an Australian resident, uh, this is really going to be useful for you. Uh, The first one is the wonderful ReSparkle. And this is a business that has dramatically reduced plastic in their own business over time, even though they started as a plastic reduction solution with their concentrate pods, they've managed to reduce that plastic twice again since. 
to now being a sachet business where you just add water. It's really quite incredible. And, uh, and therefore the plastic waste is completely reduced and you have 15% uh, off with a one-time redemption uh, with the code 15 and then the percent sign, LOTOXFEB21. And uh, don't worry, all of these details are in the show notes, uh, which I'll share with you the link for in a second if you find it hard to find. Uh, and I'm a big fan. So they're great cleaning products and uh, Aussie-made, Aussie-owned, uh, really wonderful stuff. The next business I wanted to shout out was Killer Pillar. Now, you guys might have seen me talk about these over the years. It's a really wonderful chiropractic designed pillow that actually allows your spine and neck to form the best possible alignment while you're sleeping for all sorts of things, everything from spinal alignment to reduce pain right through to calming the nervous system. So again, for people who are recovering from illness, this is a really great pillow to consider. And your code to get 10% off is GoLowTox10 from the wonderful guys at Killer Pillar. I love also that the materials in the pillow are low tox and uh, a wonderful attention to detail has been paid there. And then the last brand that I wanted to bring up was the wonderful Modi Body. So if you haven't come across Modi Body, it's the fantastic range of uh, period undies. Uh, these are particularly great for teenage girls who might be a little bit uh, apprehensive about going down the whole uh, tampon train right now or quite young or really freaking out about menstrual cups. I know that these feature very heavily with a lot of low-toxes tweens. Uh, and there's wonderful colors. It's a really fun brand, um, beautiful ethics and a great um, social responsibility aspect to the business. And I'm a huge fan. They're not just for teenagers, obviously, as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of them on day threes to, days three to five, where you just then don't have to worry about using anything at all. Uh, unfortunately, menstrual cups just do not work for me. So a shout out to everyone out there who just doesn't like them. <laughs> I have never found one that was good. And uh, one actually gave me a huge uh, blood clot from the friction inside, which kind of freaked me out and made me think I had a tumor. So <laughs> no offense to people who produce uh, menstrual cups, but I'm a huge fan of period undies as a result. And they're a great way for reducing your landfill implications when it comes to buying lots of tampons and pads and liners and things. Uh, especially if you can, you know, maybe you might not want to use them from the very first day on a really heavy flow, but on the lighter days, a-okay. So your code for Modi Body is LOTOXLIFE10. Now, reminder, where do you find all of these, the two courses and these three beautiful Lotox brands offering you these deals? You go to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and you click on today's show. This is just for this week. So you have to make the most of it uh, pronto. Otherwise you will miss out. So if you're looking at making any swaps, make sure you do it. Uh, if you wanted to pop a day in the diary, we have Golotox. We are doing a third bonus round of my signature e-course this year. Uh, we had an issue with Facebook and ads earlier when we were running the first 
round this year. And a lot of people were like, what? I missed out. I didn't even see that was on. So I'm putting on a third round and that is June 7th. You can already register. Um, just Google go low tox and it'll come straight up with the registration page, uh, or go to lowtoxlife.com and click on courses once you're there. Uh, and, uh, I'm really, really excited to work in through this winter for the South, uh, summer for the North. Now this is a course that has, uh, resources for Canada, us, Australia, New Zealand, and UK, uh, which usually means that ships all throughout Europe. So everyone's covered in terms of tons and tons of great resources and I would love for you to join me there. So pop June 7 in your diary. You can go and register already. And uh, a reminder that people who are members of the Lotox Club get 50% off registration for all Lotox courses. So maybe you might want to join us as a club member and be a regular chat member of our group and uh, all the wonderful monthly topics that we run there and the expert webinars where we ask clubbers their questions. We're actually doing a webinar on Wednesday for club members all about cycle health into uh, things like endometriosis, PCOS, perimenopause. Uh, so that's going to be a really interesting one for our club members. So my gosh, I have shared a lot of information with you guys before starting today's show. So I'm going to stop there. Any questions, just hit me up in the comments of the uh, podcast show notes and uh, or send us an email team at lowtoxlife.com and we'll help you out. Have a great time listening to this show and a big shout out to anyone there who is dealing with this inflammatory condition uh, I am not better permanently, but I am better more and more of the time. And that is what matters to me. It's all about improving, uh, as we go. So, uh, be courageous, uh, be patient, cultivate love always through things like the Gupta program. If you're finding that aspect really hard, it's so important to our recovery and uh, do have a look at the Mold Illness Made Simple e-course. I can't provide advice on people's individual situations and look at pictures of people's houses. I'm not a building biologist. I'm not a health practitioner. That course exists to cover all of your questions and concerns and to make you mold literate, which is going to be so helpful, especially if you're an owner of your property or if you're considering buying or renting, you're going to start to be able to know what to do, how to check things, and you're also going to know how to get better uh, if you're unwell uh, due to this. So big hugs to everyone struggling on this front. I know it is a really tough one. Enjoy the interview with Sandeep. Hello, Sandeep. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I'm so excited to have you back. I can't believe how long ago show 55 was. It's literally, gosh, three and a half years ago, we first talked about SIRS and I was very much in the thick of uh, uh, just figuring out that mold was actually really my primary issue at that time. I was very sick and you were one of the, the greatest sources of hope uh, that people could actually recover from feeling so darn awful from this illness. Uh, and to have you back now, three and a half years later, to have experienced some really great inroads with my own health and to have been able to support our community, connecting them to your resources, especially your new and improved Mold Illness Made Simple um, course that is honestly just the most comprehensive thing that I've found to refer people to. Welcome. 
Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, no, I'm very, very glad that uh, that you know there was a, a beacon of hope there for you, and that you've you've recovered from this now. And uh, there's really a lot that that's uh, progressed in this whole field over the last uh, three, four years. And so it'll be excited to dive into those a little bit more. Mm, absolutely. Can I just recap uh, to get us started and for people who might not have heard our first show together, which is absolutely worth a listen, it's no less relevant than it is today, what led you to specialise in mould and in uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome? Yeah, it's a great question. And and I think the first thing was really my, my personal journey with illness, which was around about 2005, uh, where I basically got a gut bug when I was traveling in Oregon in, in the United States and took a very strong antibiotic, you know, called a, um, called a quinolone. And, uh, and then that, you know, according to the, the conventional medical paradigm, that should have been the end of it. However, instead, I came home and had massive headaches and fatigue and uh, mood changes and gut symptoms and so on. I was just a mess. And uh, really, I found that in, in my standard medical understanding, it wasn't easy to, to conceptualize what had happened and to give that a diagnosis and, and a standard treatment. And so it led me searching to understand more about what antibiotics to, could do to the gut and what gut infections could do and what the importance of the microbiome was. And uh, it was really quite simple information that I found and I was able to fix myself up quite quickly. And it led me to think that it was very, very important to have this basic understanding of just simple things like the microbiome and the concept of balance in terms of our gut flora. And slowly, slowly as I did that and I made more changes in my own lifestyle, I saw the benefits. And so it felt, uh, how should I say it, it felt sincere and um, truthful to move my career more towards integrative medicine at that point. And so I did a, a gradual shift of my career from intensive care over to integrative general practice over a period of about five years, and uh, and then ended up opening my own practice in, in 2011 on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, and then, no, sorry, and then, and then following that, I then had a house flood uh, into the next year, 2012, and um, and had a had basically had a level of water inside the house because it was one of those houses that was below ground level. Mm -hmm. just Not making in. that mistake again, are you, Doc? <laughs> nope. And uh, yeah, all I saw all, all our possessions in the garage starting getting microbial growth all over them. And my partner at the time became extremely unwell. It was almost bed bound. And so again, I didn't have a good framework to understand what was happening. And I, it wasn't quite just as simple as the microbiome this time. And so that search that led me to find different information and research on uh, mold related problems and one of my my patients uh, mentioned Dr. Richie Shoemaker and that he had a physician certification and so I went ahead and signed up for that and you know there was a few difficulties with with getting in touch with the Australian US kind of uh, time differences and so on but it, and it took about six months but finally I got in touch with him and at 1 a.m one fine morning uh, <laughs> we had a Skype call and, and he told me that he wanted me to be certified within like literally a month or so and I was like whoa slow down 
<laughs> Slow down here. Let me just understand the basics. And uh, but he he kept in touch with me, and he kept sending me different documents and answering my questions. And I was determined to learn it because I, I needed to know what was going on there, and I wanted to assist my partner. And uh, and and eventually, I did learn it and got certified. And then I had a huge deluge of people who were suffering from chronic fatiguing illnesses who wanted to see if mold was part of their problem. And like it was almost coincided with the time. Came and found you. That people were you know, in the chronic fatigue community were starting to look into this and look into CIRS. And so my practice then very much went in the direction of, of mold-related illness, even though that wasn't my original intention. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take for you, just thinking back to the house flooding, uh, and there are so many people experiencing some really hard times through this literally right now in this country. I know my husband, who's with the SES, is up in uh, Walgett helping um, repair houses, uh, you know, fling tarps over roofs and and drain uh, carpets and things. There's really so many people suffering from it with the recent rains. Was the correlation quite quick for you between your partner's timing on her on their illness and um your realization that mold had something to do with it or did it take you a while to find it because often you know we just see mold as this annoying thing that you got to get the bathroom cleaner out and give it a good scrub but we don't often see it as a you know unless you know as a, a root of of illness yeah that's right as far as i remember there was quite a clear correlation time-wise and she, she just got really, really unwell. I mean, she wasn't already totally well, but um, there was a marked decline and she was just, you know, also also the limbic system activation on just seeing, you know, seeing the mold everywhere as well. See that visual, that also activates the um, the limbic side of the brain. So I think there was that side of it as well. And yeah, there was quite a clear correlation in, in the decline in, in her health and uh and that water damage event so uh it, it for me there was no question there that something had happened due to that flooding and that she had been affected and so luckily i was able to quite quickly have a real life example of how this um, can really devastate people's health mm. and therefore that gave me the impetus to really learn it properly yeah and can you explain to people why perhaps you weren't as unwell as she was uh, yeah, I, I don't know the exact reason, but there's basically different, you know, we both have HLA genes, but she right. did have a slightly, yeah, we, yeah, she had a slightly more severe variant, but I think also the other thing is just to do with a background of, uh, other medical problems and, 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 and past, you know, emotional trauma and so on, all of those can play in. Mm. And, and we're going to talk more about the emotional trauma piece as we, we hook into things today. Now, I think something really important for people to understand at this juncture is uh, that often people go to their GP, they're not feeling great, uh, perhaps they're feeling awful. And in a GP's, you know, the average training, um, there is a knowledge of respiratory um, sensitivities to mould in some people, allergy, asthma, et cetera. Um, but mold, of course, we now know impacts the nervous system, the brain, the immune system, and is a multi-system um, illness. Uh, so it can actually get in everywhere, uh, as many who've been affected know. How do we explain very, very clearly that this is far more than an annoyance? Um, and how can we start to actually more deeply understand the difference between allergy 
and chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Yeah, they're very, very different, actually. Mm. So, so an allergy response is where you're having what we call an immunoglobulin E or IgE response to um, various foreign invaders. So, you know, it can be dust mite, it can be cockroaches, it can be um, all sorts of things, pollen. So, so mold is in the list there. And so for people that are basically suffering from a mold allergy, the classic thing would be that they're getting fairly mild symptoms like a runny nose and hay fever and an itchy throat and some similar, you know, sometimes it can be hives as well and some other type of uh, allergic symptoms. I mean, in some cases on the severe end of the spectrum, they could actually have uh, a more life-threatening reaction, like their lips swelling up or their throat swelling up and them not being able to breathe or their blood pressure going down really low, but that's quite rare. So in most cases, it's a fairly mild type of problem, and that's what most doctors know about. And I guess that's also one reason that most doctors tend to minimize the, what the health impacts um, that can be, you know, attributed to mold, and that's that's just really where what their training has covered. And so, when it comes to chronic inflammatory response syndrome, we're talking about something very much more severe. So we're talking about not just uh, an irritation due to histamine of some tissues like the, the the respiratory area of the body, but we're talking about something where there's a, a whole cascade of compounds called cytokines, in which the, basically the whole body is on fire, so to speak. And, and that's due to basically people having an overactive innate immune response and an underactive acquired immune response. And, uh, and that leads to chronic inflammation being the immune system's attempt to try to fight off this foreign invader unsuccessfully. Mm. And I find something fascinating in my own journey with this. Once I had the full cytokine experience with mold and once my, uh, my uh, nervous system and immune system had experienced the full breadth of that and that looked horrific. It was full, you know, muscle spasms, twitches, horrific palpitations, pots where like literally I would roll over in bed and wake myself up with the fact that my heart had just from that experience alone gone up 50 beats per minute and then stayed up for four hours before I could calm down and get back to sleep. Some really, really shitty stuff, right? Like stuff that makes you feel hopeless. And I, I know so many people in our community and your community have been through this. So as you were talking then, I just want to give people a massive hug because it is just awful. And um, what I find fascinating is once my body learnt how bad things could get and how hard it might need to inflame itself to save me, I found that then other environmental factors came into play and that learned response to coming in and saving the day would manifest. So all of a sudden I had electro hypersensitivity, uh, which I had never experienced before. Uh, moving into a freshly renovated place just one month ago, my first four days were a full cytokine storm response from the fumes and off-gassing. And I thought, crap, there's mould that we haven't found. And boy, do I do a very, very thorough examination before uh, moving into a place. Um, but 
All I needed to do was get the air filters on, get the place opened up. Two weeks later, I'm fine. It, but my body learned to come save the day for me in a certain way that is actually quite intense. And over time, I've learned to go, okay, what is it? We don't need to freak out. And how can I actually use things like the other Gupta's great work, Ashok, um, to uh, to regulate and calm myself down? So I want to unpack um, that a little bit more later, but I just felt like it was a good time to bring it in because we want to kind of also teach our body that sometimes it doesn't need to react so severely to things. Sometimes things are actually okay once you've started to heal, right? Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, so it seems that in many people's journey, they develop a a kind of a, a oversensitivity of their limbic system. Some people call the fire alarm of the body. And just like you have a fire alarm, if you have a smart alarm at home that's just going off all the time, it's just, you know, so frustrating. And really what you want to do is try and dial that sensitivity down of that fire alarm. So it's actually just responding to fire and not just you putting toast in the toaster. Exactly. That is a brilliant analogy. Um, so you've obviously since uh, becoming certified yourself, since opening up your practice and since uh, healing so many patients, working with so many people. You've worked with a lot of health professionals. Your webinars are fantastic and those are accessible on YouTube uh, and, um, and just always full of such a wealth of information with some of the biggest thought leaders in this space. Do you want to share, maybe it's something from Richie Shoemaker, maybe something from Mary Ackerley, maybe something from Neil Nathan, some key moments where colleagues in the space have helped you up-level your own practice? Yeah, I think firstly, Richie Shoemaker was was who I worked with initially. And, and one of the big things about him, I think, was the importance of rigor in one's, um, in one's thought process. And he was very big on just simple things like looking at how well laboratory tests have been validated and looking at you know what what studies had been performed in various areas and and just being quite rigorous in in terms of the science of medicine and and how it applied to um, CIRS and uh, that was you know he challenged us in some ways so we had a you know a group of physicians I think I was one of the the, you know, the first five or so and that that list grew gradually and we had what was called a list serve an email list where we had uh, conversations all the time and he he challenged us to to really look at things with deeper vigor and maybe consider yeah consider deeply whether um, all types of holistic interventions were useful and I think that was a, a useful challenge should I say, then that was something I then had to integrate later on. And so, um, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that, um, that I probably learnt through, through Dr. Schumacher, also just the, the diagnostic process and understanding how he would compile a diagnosis of CRS in, in someone like he looked for, it being a multi-system, multi-symptom illness. You know, he helped you helped me to be able to recognize when someone had had a clear history of biotoxin exposure and how to take a history properly. Uh, he helped me with what's called a, a cluster analysis and visual contrast sensitivity testing. And then most importantly, using the, the biomarker testing uh, that, that he had developed, which is, is very, very um, 
novel and um you know a big breakthrough in my view so um yeah. and can i just get you to expand on visual contrast sensitivity because i've mentioned this to a couple of doctors um over the years and uh, have had varying responses to the degree of a shrug and i don't really know what that's about um to i wouldn't pay too much attention to that uh, what is your response to that as a fellow doctor yeah, so it's it's actually a well-established test. It's used by um, optometrists and ophthalmologists all the time, and you could say it, it's really looking at the ability to discern fine shades of grey. And so it is it is also used in in diagnosing certain eye disorders. So that's the first thing. And the, the first thing before using it is that that one needs to ascertain that their vision is basically normal. Otherwise, it can can often be abnormal simply due to eye problems. And, and, and so that's the first thing. But if one has basically normal vision, uh, even if that's using glasses, then if one ends up having a defect in their ability to discern the fine shades of gray, and the, there's a certain scoring system that is used, then that's suggestive of a biotoxin-related illness or a similar disorder, something that's caused neuroinflammation. So it's not 100% specific for it, but it's a it's a it's a suggestive sign and uh but the, the most useful thing i find is if someone's positive you can then follow their progress through through the vcs test and they should come to normal and what doc shoemaker used to say is if someone's not improving by at least one to two rows every time you see them then you know that there's something going on they're still getting exposed or some other some other problem with the treatment yeah so, and well, once I connected with an integrative GP, she would whip out the VCS panel every start of the visit and we would check in. And, uh, and it was so reassuring when I saw, you know, those, yes. those yeah, improvements. That's right. Yeah, mm. that's, it's, it's very reassuring. And sometimes it goes, you know, can get worse for a little while and that can be a sign one's reacting to the binders. He mm. called that intensification. And so it was also useful to pick that up. Someone's temporarily feeling worse. And so it's, it's very useful. I mean, he, Dr. Shoemaker's thing was you generally only give cholestyramine or other um, bile acid sequestrants was the, was the technical name for that um, until the VCS test is normal and one is, is not living in a water damaged building. But through the more recent tests, we've, we've found that actually often binders need to give, be given for a longer period of time, especially through having other testing like urinary mycotoxin testing available to us now. Mm, absolutely. And um, in terms of binders, uh, a lot of um, people have different levels of reactions to them. And it seems that there's some emerging research. Uh, I've definitely seen Neil Nathan speak on this. I think he even has a table in his book where different binders seem to be working more effectively for different forms of mycotoxins. Can you speak to that in your own experience? Yeah, so um, specifically Beth O'Hara and Emily Givler, um, who are two unlicensed practitioners, worked on this after a conference in uh, in Denver, uh, Colorado, in 2019, and they they um, you know worked with Dr. Neil Nathan and came up with a, a really good review of the literature, where they found which 
binders appeared to be most effective for witch mycotoxins. And they created a system called precision detoxification of mycotoxins. And they also had a look at the detoxification pathways. And although glutathione was also something that was commonly used, it's actually another pathway that appears to be the most important one for detoxification of mycotoxins. It's called glucuronidation. So that's a, that's one of the important um, little facts that came out of that. And uh, so often in, in my treatment, what we do is even after the VCS test is normal, uh, we continue with binders for some time because what we also find, and this probably um, touches back in with your comment um, a little while ago, is that um, when one has got mold toxicity, um, they actually get a block to their detoxification pathways relating to NERF2 and KEEP1. And therefore, often other toxins are unable to be detoxified as well, such as heavy metals and so on. So it's also important to address those as part of the healing process as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, speaking of glutathione, seeing as you've um, you brought it up, uh, one of the things I'm pretty passionate about people understanding is that often our glutathione can be depleted by um, an over-the-counter medication called uh, paracetamol, uh, which is um, quite a disaster. If I think back to my own experience of migraines as a late teenager, early 20s, working in cosmetics, surrounded by fragrances and getting a lot of migraines, having no idea why I did, but I used to chew those things like lollies. Um, is that a permanent depletion or is glutathione something that we can actually build back up if we think about our past and we think, oh gosh, I actually have used Panadol as like a pretty regular support tool over my lifetime. How can I improve my chances of having that amazing antioxidant back in order? Yeah, no, it definitely seems like the body can heal the pathways if there are not many other kind of, of stresses on the system. Gotcha. And, and so it's one stress. I mean, actually a recent uh, review found that paracetamol is actually very ineffective. Mm. And, I know. I just I saw saying, that this know, week as well. Yeah, it's one of the sacred cows of medicine. And when you look at it, it's like, okay, well, hang on. One of these things that we give all children when they have a fever and, you know, it's used so often, really probably shouldn't be used. I've known of one intensive care physician told me he had seen four cases of liver failure due to normal doses of paracetamol. So it's actually not, it's actually not a benign medication at all. Uh, so yeah, it's just one stress that can deplete glutathione levels, but many other things can, chemicals, heavy metals, uh, mold for sure and um you know a variety of other things so uh definitely you know want to be careful about adding that into the mix if you've already got many other stresses on the body absolutely and then in terms of supplementation of glutathione a lot of people think um, more is more is less is more sometimes important for people especially starting out with adding it in yeah yeah it's uh it's it's about titrating it to your unique um, body composition, if you like, and mm. everyone has a different tolerance. And yeah, sometimes people tend to go at it very, very hard. And that, that goes for almost everything, you know, it goes for binders and, and other detoxification support. And I know Dr. Neil Nathan, that's one of the things that when he started writing on this topic, now he originally studied with Dr. Shoemaker as well. And they did, mm. they released a video set CRS for dummies many years ago, which, <laughs> which is quite good. Very bad quality, actually. But, um, <laughs> Thank <laughs> yeah, God things yeah. have come a long way. Yeah, that's right. It's on mm. the old VHS tape, I think. And, um, uh, he's one of the things he's found is that working with um, sensitive patients um, that 
um, that they often need very small doses and that if you just hit them with very high doses of things like glutathione and binders, often they actually get worse. And so, you know, he developed a system of starting at very low doses and building up and finding the kind of the activation point where it seems to work really well and avoiding going higher than that to the points where you really smash yourself, you know, even though that's in certain, there is in, in certain parts of the health movement, that kind of philosophy around, you know, we've seen that in the heavy metal movement, you know, where people are saying, no, no, you've just got to use the DMSA and alpha lipoic acid and just give real, you know, keep going, keep going. And, and, and that, that really doesn't seem to be the way as particularly in, in very sensitive people. It's about finding your individual tolerance and, and tailoring your dosages to that. Absolutely. And especially with something like binders that can be quite constipating, like if you actually then block your elimination pathway uh, um, through your poop, then that's not a great idea either. We want to make sure that if we're taking things like this, that we are actually able to then eliminate yeah, that's a really great point. You really want to make sure that those um, those pathways of elimination are working because you're not going to do anything if you're constipated because the whole mechanism of the binders working is by getting the uh, the toxins out in the stool. So if there's no toxin being passed, you're really just going to probably have more toxins circulating. Mm -hmm. Very important. Um, and so with people who are like that, patients who are like that, is there anything simple that they can do to ensure that they keep eliminating? I've heard one doctor recommend a little bit of magnesium oxide before bedtime just to make sure that the next day they go what do yep, you recommend? Yeah, magnesium oxide's good. I, I usually use magnesium citrate because often people with mold-related illness have some degree of oxalates, uh -huh. and it also helps binding with the with the oxalates. So that that's good. Um, there is also, you know, vitamin C can be quite helpful. Mm -hmm. Using um, and then using psyllium husks and and many of the combination binders now I know um, include psyllium husks. Mm, and, and I'm seeing aloe vera pop up uh, and yeah, things like that that's as well. Right. So I think I think people who are creating some of these natural binder combinations are quite aware of this um, this issue of constipation. And so mixing in psyllium can be really, really useful. Um, there's some certain uh, proprietary products that have acacia gums and other other type of gums in them, which for certain people is very useful. And then lactulose mm. for, for some people can be very helpful and can also help with, um, with seeding the right uh, type of bacteria in their gut. Yeah, nice. Uh, so let's talk about what Mary Ackerley has brought to the table because I think that webinar you did with her a few years ago was a, a real eye-opener for me and it certainly helped me understand why my brain literally felt on fire. Uh, and a lot of people can, can be recommended uh, to start taking medications that are more um, uh, neurological Mm -hmm. uh, in their treatment aspect when, in fact, it is a mould issue. So how uh, can we start to get a little bit more agency in our practitioner conversations around this? What are some basic things we need to understand uh, when we go in to have these conversations? Yeah, so she um, really, we did a webinar which we called Brain on Fire and she mm. was very specific in, in explaining some of the pathways and mechanisms whereby um, basically biotoxins cause brain inflammation. Mm -hmm. And she talks a lot about something called microglial 
activation, which is where the immune system, uh, the immune cells of the brain become hyperactivated. And she talks about certain situations in which this tends to happen a lot more, one of them being Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And then that's one of the real big things she brought to the table. And she was one of the first out of this group of shoemaker physicians to bring in the idea of mast cell activation, Mm. explain how that was, you know, a big part of, of neuroinflammation in many people. And that, you know, also that there were certain medications that also act as, uh, as, as mast cell inhibitors as well. Some of the medications that are used in psychiatry as well. And so if one ever, you know, someone severely depressed or suffering from other mental health issues, uh, and they've got a biotoxin illness issue at the root of it, that there, there are better choices that can be used in terms of medications and so on. The other major contribution she's made is in terms of, of neuroquant, which is the, the, the type of um, volumetric analysis of brain MRI scanning that, that was first brought in by, um, by Dr. Shoemaker and Dr. McMahon, which was, he was his first uh, trainee over in, in the United States. And she really brought in a new, um, new system for interpreting neuroquant, especially when um, Cortex Laboratory came out with a new type of report called the, the, the triage brain atrophy report. She, she came out with a new way of interpreting neuroquant, which I believe is a significant advance over previous uh, ways of looking at it. So yeah, I'm very appreciative towards her. I think she's made very, very great strides forward in this whole field. Mm, absolutely. Um, and obviously we learn things from scientists, research, fellow colleagues, uh, when we're a doctor such as yourselves, what have your patients taught you? Oh, so much. Yeah. So much. Uh, don't know if I could even narrow it down at all, but I, I guess it's the, it's the lived experience mm. of this whole syndrome and, and the day-to-day um, nuances of, of, you know, how one deals with this. And, you know, just the, just the, the reports and the comments that they give help me to, um, to further and deepen my understanding of all the nuances of getting well. And one of the things I found is if one really tunes in deeply to, to what a client is saying, um, then one picks up, you know, some of the subtleties that are, that are needed to, you know, to help fine tune their recovery. Mm. Very, very important. Such a huge impact. So what can the imprints of trauma on the nervous system, brain and immune response be, even if you've healed? And how can we work on that? And I shared my uh, um, noticing that um, trauma seemed to just start showing up in other environmental onslaughts and things I haven't reacted. I've never reacted to a freshly painted room before in my life, but since mold, I had a full cytokine storm response, uh, for example. So explain to us why this happens. And uh, I certainly know how I'm working on it and, and healing that aspect of my own uh, journey as well. But uh, I know that you have uh, connected with some pretty special people that are working in that very specific area as well. Yeah, and I think the uh, the mechanisms of this are still being elucidated. But one of the main ones is is what we discussed before, which is just limbic system activation or amygdala activation. And so, going back to the fire alarm analogy, uh, 
one's had a fire alarm, it's almost like the, the, sorry, try that again. If one's had a fire in one's house, it's almost like that the fire alarm has a little bit of a, a life of its own and it's, it starts getting worried about more fires. And so therefore it's increased its sensitivity. So the brain, you know, is much more of a living being than, than a, a, a mechanical smoke alarm. And it actually, its main purpose as Ashok Gupta says, is just to, to protect and, uh, and help the, the organism to survive. And therefore, if one's had some kind of event take place, let's say it is a massive mold exposure, then the sensitivity is often turned right up. On that and and it can and that is also the case if one's had severe emotional trauma so a classic thing is if one's been in a dangerous environment uh let's say you know one was in yeah something like that or in a shop where someone came in with a with a gun or something like that all of a sudden the brain becomes very concerned about its about its survival and it turns that sensitivity right it turns it right up so that all of a sudden you start feeling, and this is the classic syndrome of PTSD. There's, there's no more gunman around, but all of a sudden, you know, you can wake up in the middle of the night thinking that the, you know, that the the episode's happening again, and um, you know, you can feel like any time that there's a little bit of conflict or something like that, let's say, that there's going to be something really bad happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and very it- easy for that to get triggered. You even speaking about this is bringing up trauma and grief in my own being right now. Like I I just felt this kind of lump in my throat start and it's almost like just the thought of that horrific spiral, you know, uh, where your conscious mind is like, dude, it's just a dirty aircon in a shop you, you spent three seconds in. Like calm down and yet all of these troops come out in their fire truck to um, fight on your behalf. Uh, so it's, I find um, it really fascinating uh, that we can now start bringing this piece into the overall healing puzzle, because I think it's going to be part of what the long-term success of the active detoxification and healing um, um, uh, component is of overall uh, traumatic and chronic illness. And, you know, like when you said, um, or if someone has experienced trauma, the very act of going through SIRS is a traumatic experience. Yes, it is. So that it can actually, because for me, that is the only trauma I've ever experienced. Okay, okay. So, yeah. and, and it was just so bad uh, that that it is like medical PTSD. Yes, and and part of the trauma is also not being understood or being dismissed. Hundred percent by family members, by medical practitioners, etc. That's that's a big part of the trauma as well. Also, landlords, etc. Mm. Um, oh my gosh! All, all of that is is also part of the trauma. Um, there's a lot to it, and so there's many layers of that trauma. You know, being just the financial side of it is traumatic. Thinking. Yeah, thinking that you may, you know, you may lose everything. Yeah. Oh, well, yep. we certainly lost all our savings uh, over yep. the course of five years, 100%. Um, and so that really brings me to talking about this, and I can only speak for Australia, obviously, uh, you would have more knowledge of how this is playing out in other countries in terms of awareness. Um, but I guess we can ho- we can, we can be um, comforted by the fact that awareness is growing but the reality right now is that there are very low rights for renters 
or for um, people who've received a dodgy building report when buying a house or for people who've had a shoddy build or a poorly designed home, unfortunately, for prettiness and aesthetic rather than for functionality, good drainage and all the things that we need to avoid water damage. Um, For people who simply can't move just like that, for people who simply can't just throw away all their possessions because their kids will literally not have beds to sleep on. There are so many challenges in healing that are very practical and very life affecting things uh, in terms of stuff and the roof over your heads. Um, I've moved seven times in five years, for example, um, and I'm certainly not the only one. So uh, how do we start to, um, Sandeep, how do we start to actually become more active, especially those of us who are more well and, you know, our brains aren't on fire again. We want to get to work and we want to change this conversation, uh, whether it's in our electorates, uh, with medical associations, how can we actually start to make a bigger difference with this so that the whole experience of sickness from water damage or intense mould exposure does not fall on the individual themselves in a completely privatised medical situation that costs an absolute bomb? Yeah, I think that uh, that being in touch with your local member is a very good idea. And, you know, even even if it is that they, they're not interested at this point, you know, you've planted a seed there and, you know, all it takes is for several, sometimes for a number of different seeds to be planted or sometimes an experience of a friend or relative of that particular local member and they become, can, can become very active. We have a Lucy Wicks. Yes. I was just thinking of her Hmm. parliament for Robertson, who's really become a champion for moving this forward, you know, and she started a parliamentary inquiry in 2018, I believe, which was uh, completed and, and the parliamentarians did uh, acknowledge that this this appeared to be a very real syndrome that was affecting Australians and uh, and now the NHMRC are looking into creating further research so that's just one you know one person one member of parliament who had a personal experience with this illness and realized that she could make a difference uh, you know so by speaking to other um, local members of parliament uh, you know you may find one that that just, you know, has someone who suffered from this or somehow has has been twigged to the, the, the belief that this is a real issue in, in Australians and may be willing to, to champion this cause more. The more voices there are in Parliament, the more this is going to get listened to. And, uh, and perhaps then the, the research that's done through this NHMRC initiative will be um, listened to and acted on. That's our greatest hope. So there definitely are things you can do. Getting the word out there on blogs and social media all, all helps to, um, to, to uh, raise the awareness. And there are some journalists now uh, who are interested in this topic as well. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will just share a very quick success story on a much more local level is through air conditioning cleaning awareness. A lot of commercial properties don't realise the impact of their dirty aircon systems. And it's not just about wiping the black from around the vents. It's about getting a full deep service of that unit or that um, ducting. And, uh, and I wrote to our local um, 
shopping centre that's attached to a train station. I shared pictures. I shared a picture of myself wearing uh, a mould protective mask from 3M, you know, the one with the pink filters. Um, so I honestly looked like I was inside a um, war zone where gas was being um, deployed as a weapon. <laughs> so it was quite a visual, visually confronting um, image of me having to wear my mask to pick up my son every day. And, um, and lo and behold, I received information that they were going to look into this. And within a month, everything had been fully serviced. I no longer have palpitations when I go into that shopping centre. They've really actually got it sorted. Um, so Wow, that's actually great. I isn't it amazing? That. Yeah, I haven't heard yeah. of, of stories like that. So that just shows you that, yeah. Yeah. If, you know, getting your voice out there can be listened to. Totally. So whether it's your favourite clothing store and you notice a bit of a dirty air con or the local chicken shop, wherever it is, um, just say, you know, I love coming to your store. I have noticed, share the picture, uh, that your air con is contaminated and, you know, having suffered from mould illness myself, I just want to let you know that this can actually make your employees sick. I wouldn't want them coming in with more, more and more sick days, which will cost your business. Like I quite like putting in an element where the person has to think about as a business owner, the cost to them of their employees getting sick. And um, it'd be really great. And, and here's a local air con servicing guy who does a great job. Um, I thought I'd just leave that with you. So I've had one success so far, but, um, you know, we can have more successes. So I just wanted to share that. Um, can yeah, do that's a, yeah, that's a great point. And I think this is, it's also a feeling of empowerment. If, if one can be heard, again, it starts, starts to overcome some of the experiences of lack of validation one may have had along the way, which mm. is very important. Totally. So I want to talk about your course, um, Mold Illness Made Simple, which is for me just the best go-to right now if people are completely feeling hopeless, have absolutely no idea where to start, whether it's fixing your house, whether it's choosing your house, whether it's sorting yourself out um, and helping give you tools to have more effective conversations with practitioners that you're working with. Or if you're going this alone for financial reasons, it really is brilliant, Sandeep. So thank you for creating it. Um, I, I, you have very detailed videos on how to choose a safe home with a bit of a your best bet kind of framework. We can never know 100% for sure, unfortunately, but there are things we can do. What are some of your favourite things for people out there who are currently on a renting perspective or buying perspective journey? Uh, I think one of the, the really important things is just honing your own senses, realizing that you, you know, you as a human body have the, the capacity to be able to, to notice when something's not right somewhere. And, you know, that may mean treating your nasal passages so that your sense of, of smell comes back because many people don't have that when they're suffering from mold related illness because of, of infection in their nasal passages. But that's one of the key things. You can get your nasal passages clear and get to the point where you start becoming confident in being able to recognize subtle signs yourself. You know, and and that's I think that's one of the keys. You can't go and test every place. It's just not feasible. No, it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to just know. And you know, I've got to the stage myself. I can go into a place and go, okay, yeah, this is you know, 
the Ermi is going to be somewhere around 10 to 20 here or whatever it might be just through having been in this field for long enough. And, you know, the subtle, this, you start developing a checklist, you know, you start looking at, is there any, is there any signs in the air conditioner of contamination, you know, going into the bathroom, do you notice any areas in the grout and so on of, of, of mold? Although that's not a very, um, a very. It's not uh, the best one, is it? Yeah. It's yeah because, yeah, because that can be, yeah, that's right. That can just be a... It's a, just renter hygiene and that yeah, depends on right. so many people. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, various other signs, you know, simple things like, is there an exhaust fan in the bathrooms? Is is there a rain shirt in the kitchen? There's simple ways that the house can deal with moisture. In general, in general, a place that's not carpeted is going to be preferred over a carpeted place. In general, a newer place is going to be preferred over an older place, although it's not a guarantee. So there's certain things. So if you can get, you know, if you can um, have a, a checklist like that, and the more checks you get on that, the, the the more likely you are to be able to. And 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 it is quite. I think you can get to a place where you you can quite reliably find somewhere that's going to be okay. Now, in some cases, people won't even be able to deal with those places, like the best five percent or the best ten percent of houses in which case they may have to consider doing um, extreme mold avoidance for a period of time, which may mean tent camping or, uh, you know, or, or kind of redoing a caravan of some kind to, um, you know, to be able to create a very high level of cleanliness from mold in their environment so as to be able to heal for a period mm. of time. And you've had patients that fall into that category, I gather? Yeah, yeah I think I've got three or four at the moment. Who are yeah. And yeah, so, wow. You know, and and it should only need to be for a period of time. And there's a whole group of people called extreme mold avoiders who, and many of those believe you just need to do that for life. Then, mm. however, I'm I am concerned about the psychological effects it can have. Yeah, you know, and, and that's where the limbic retraining is looking quite promising, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's it's about finding that balance between there's you know you can, there can be an extreme in the opposite direction where you think okay let's just do limbic retraining and not worry about mold exposure. But see, the problem is there, the mold itself is going to impact on your system and including the limbic system. So I think there's somewhere there's a balance and it's about finding it for yourself. Mm. So, and, you know, being able to find a strategy which allows you to improve without creating so much panic in the system that, um, that it impairs the limbic system from recovering. Mm-hmm. And in terms of recovery, a lot of people still having to ask the question about all sorts of um, all sorts of situations, whether it's weight loss, whether it's uh, menopause, whatever. But with SIRS, it's no different. What should I eat? What should they eat, Doc, while they're healing from chronic inflammatory response syndrome? According to Dr. Shoemaker, there's no one specific diet. However, we generally recommend just a, a low mycotoxin and low sugar diet in general that avoids, yeah, it avoids um, classic allergens such as gluten and dairy. And the reason for that is there's a degree of uh, gut inflammation that um, occurs in um, in mycotoxin related illness, um, and there are mycotoxins in certain foods. You know, so there's you know nuts and uh, and coffee and and grains particularly, and so if one can avoid those, it's best. I mean, we don't know with any certainty whether they contribute, but I think a common sense response would be you don't want to 
we don't want to be adding any more mycotoxins to the system. So that would be the, the center of the, of the diet. And then depending on the associated conditions, so if one's got mast cell activation, you tend to also then add in a low histamine piece. If there's oxalates, you also tend to then add in a, a, a lower or at least moderate oxalate diet, at least taking out the very high foods. Uh, if there's insulin resistance, so if there's a lot of weight gain and so on, um, then one may have to move towards more of a ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting. And, and in some cases, doing the HCG diet program um, can be very important uh, with the injections to be able to reduce the leptin levels enough to be able to, to turn around that weight gain spiral. So ah, interesting, because that's something I still struggle with. I'm still about 15 kilos more than I would normally be. Okay. Yeah. Um, and my leptin levels, even though everything else is starting to look really good, my VIP is perfect, like everything's yep. looking great, yep. leptin is still through the roof. Okay, yeah. So so that's one of the, the key things mm. that we've found helps to turn that around. And you know, acknowledge uh, Sonia Rappaport. Uh, for doing a case control study on that in the US and also Dr. Janet Kim, who's done a lot of work. Ah, yes, who's a local Sydney doc. Yeah, that's mm. right. So um, so that's really important. And also if one has a coexistent condition of estrogen dominance, one may need to look at avoiding things like soy and other, um, other um, foods that may worsen estrogen dominance. So, yeah. so that's the way I put it is depending on which which other, you know, which bucket you seem to from. fall in the most. Yeah, yeah. that's right. There, there's, there's um, variations on the diet. Mm. So the, the low amylose diet that was created by Dr. Shoemaker is kind of like a minimum standard. I mean, he was only generally recommending it for 10 days when one started cholestyramine and, uh, and also when one was just doing general anti-inflammatory treatment to reduce the MMP9 and, and VEGF levels. So uh, that would be like seen as, a, in my view, as a minimum standard. Mm-hmm. You know, and but the I think in in many cases going a step further than that would be when it found to be beneficial by most um, clients. Yeah, right. And you mentioned MMP nine. Uh, that sort of makes me think about blood tests in general that are done for SIRS to as part of the assessment, and how hard it is for Australians to do that from a financial perspective, but also from a an urgency perspective because often doctors have to pull together a few tests to make the sending across to America uh, financially viable to get the test done from a postage perspective. Um, And our local offering is not the gold standard and not reliable enough. Are you seeing any hope in the area that we may have a local test for Australians, a panel, panel for Australians soon? There are some discussions going on. And um, I do want to keep talking with Laverty Pathology and their, their group called Private uh, Primary Healthcare about being able to create a system for Quest and, and or LabCorp at least to be done. And there was talk of them bringing, you know, of them actually having a, a partnership with Quest uh, in future and therefore having being able to bring some of their tests in-house. Uh, so that's exciting. Yeah, that's right. So, so there's still a hope there and I actually planning it's on my to do list, um, in the next couple of days to get back onto, to them, to continue this discussion. But yeah, it is something that's not really available on a, um, you know, on a practical level in Australia right at the moment. Yeah. And I have to say, if you're working with a mold literate practitioner, 
they can have a pretty good sense of where your results might come <laughs> if you were to get that test by doing a really thorough analysis of your situation, your history, etc. So please don't, if you're out there listening and think, oh my God, I can't get tested, that is not going to necessarily be hindering any progress that you might make on a local level with a mold literate practitioner. Yeah, totally agree. Um, totally agree. And we, we often found that that testing was mainly needed for legal cases where people were mm -hmm. having having legal um, battles with landlords or whoever it might be. And, uh, and, and that helped, um, you know, to have the black and white evidence that's needed in those sorts of situations. Yeah. But generally speaking, one, one could, you know, treat quite well without those tests. Fantastic. So once we're feeling well and truly better, what about re-exposures? Uh, I want to ask you this as a finish up question, because I think, um, We've talked about the limbic aspect and the, the fire engine coming out when it's not necessarily strictly um, uh, warranted, but sometimes we're re-exposed to mould and um, we may need like a little bit of a top-up protocol, a little bit of a reintroduction of binders, especially if, say, we've stayed in a holiday house for perhaps a week where that is actually a significant amount of time. You're not just popping in and out of a shopping centre. What do you recommend for um, a basic go-to re-exposure situation? Yeah, so that is a good point. And it's very difficult to totally avoid re-exposures taking place. Sometimes they're hidden, by the way. Sometimes it can be something innocuous like it's your car or it can be, a, you know, you haven't filled, serviced your air filters for a certain amount of time and they're, they're blowing contaminated air around. So, yeah, the simplest option is just to go on to binders for a certain period of time and also using something for the nasal passages as well. You know, so, um, you know, the silver and EDTA nasal spray is something we use a lot now, but biocidin nasal spray is also being used quite often. And so that's, that's often very important to treat that as well. And in some cases, you may need a little bit of antifungal, uh, whether it be whether it be natural or pharmaceutical as well, just to, if it's been a, a really big exposure and there appears to be some degree of colonization going on, they would be the, the key things to just get you back on track. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sandeep. I can't believe how much we managed to cover in just over an hour's time. <laughs> it's a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, appreciate your work very much. Appreciate you coming back onto the show to dive a little deeper into things. And uh, I definitely appreciate the fact that we have the Mold Illness Made Simple course to refer people to. Okay, great. Well, thank you for having me and, and for helping people so much with uh, the work you're doing in this area. For that, you are very welcome. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at LotoxLife, or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at LotoxLife. Uh, and of course, LotoxLife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 Euro and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks 
and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.